everybody, and welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. I'm Kyle. And I am Matthew, and we are your podcast of music discovery. Proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the absolute best place to get all of your music podcasts. Pantheon is now home to the official Metallica podcast, which is a huge deal, and we couldn't be happier to be associated with them. Besides this podcast, we also produce two other podcasts. Audio Judo Does Jazz, which does exactly what the name implies. It does jazz. Uh, It is a great look at some of the history of jazz and jazz greats as seen through the eyes of a huge jazz fan. Uh, Season two, that's a huge jazz fan, not a huge Utah jazz fan. Yeah, that's a different person. I think he's a Pistons fan, maybe, occasionally, but he's not a Utah jazz fan. Uh, Season two of that podcast comes to you uh, sometime this fall. The other podcast is Throughline, which takes a look at the concepts on an album, whether intended or not. Um, And that podcast is also in production for season two, and that premiere is coming this fall as well. So what do you have for us today, Kyle, for the last episode of season four? That's right. We're wrapping up season four, and I went punk, dude. Today we're talking about Wire's Pink Flag. I feel like we're we've very underrepresented punk on our podcast. Really? Yeah, because I, I was trying to think. We've done oh shoot, I didn't write it down. What was it? We've done one kind of punk album. Well, it depends on but, what your definition of like uh, all right, punk is. I guess is. that's true. I mean, Talking Heads has some punk elements kind of. to it. Did we do anything else punk wise? I feel like we did, but maybe I feel we like didn't. we might have done one and I looked it up the other day and I was like, ah, and then I didn't write it down in my notes like an idiot. So, hmm. yeah, anyways, but I feel like punk is kind of a, a genre of music that we're both uh, uh, amenable to. Yes. Yes, uh, I would say uh, that. I, I wouldn't consider myself a punk. I don't think you ever considered yourself a punk. No, not I'm in also, the truest sense of the word. No. Yeah. I'm. All, uh, but it's always been a, a, a type of music that's very appealing to me. Yeah. This when this appeared on the calendar a few months ago, I was like, uh, what the hell is Kyle thinking? Uh, I was wondering out loud, mind you, is this a record that you knew? No. Or was he just screwing with me? Or does he have some primary list that he's working from that I am not privy to? So, you know, you chose a record that I know for sure I have heard. Mm-hmm. I've heard about it more than I listened to it. Yes. And it's a record that I think I have listened to completely once 35 years ago. And an album that the only time I did listen to it, I was really high <laughs> when I listened to it. I mean, this was 1988 when I was listening to it. And the height of high. Yeah. But yes, so Pink Flag. Honestly, I feel like a lot of people fall into that same category as you. This is an album that a lot of people have heard about, but right. maybe have never heard. There's no hits on this album. Uh, it's not something somebody's probably just going to put on to while away a half an hour in an afternoon. But that's exactly how I heard it, though. Yeah. So it was released in 77, the zenith of the first wave yeah. of punk music. And I have zero recollection of this record other than seeing the cover at that person's house. I don't actually remember listening, like the experience <laughs> of listening to it, like I said, but I I know that I've heard it before and I've heard that this album is highly influential, right? Mm-hmm. It's regarded as one of the punk, the best punk debuts of all time. Yeah. And by all accounts, it's not necessarily an easy thing to listen to. An I would agree easy with that, album yeah. to listen to. And we've covered artists before that aren't necessarily easy listens, right? But normally those end up being judo chops. Yeah. And speaking of judo chops, oh. do you know that the only way you can listen to our judo chops is by subscribing to our Patreon account? Yeah. So if you're not familiar, uh, judo chops are a little uh, mini episodes that we have. So when we have a subject that couldn't quite cover a whole episode or doesn't take up a whole album, uh, we split it off and, and we do some little uh, little mini episodes with it. If you'd be interested in getting access to those, we have three Patreon tiers. You can go to patreon.com forward slash audio judo to check those out, but I will tell you what they all are. The highest tier is called the Backstage Pass tier. It's $20 a month, uh, but for that you get a shout out by name or nickname at the end of every episode, early access to episodes via Patreon, access to the judo chops, like I just said, access to bonus bits. You had to 
cut out of episodes. Plus, after three months at that tier, you'll get a special gift from Matthew and I. And the big one at this tier, uh, after one year at this tier, uh, you'll get to co-host an episode with us uh, on an album of your choice. That reward does activate after one year and can only be activated once, so choose wisely. Not quite interested in shelling out 20 bucks a month, but you still want to get access to the judo chops and help the podcast out. You can sign up for the front row seats tier. It's $5 a month for that. You get a shout out by name or nickname at the end of every episode, early access to the episodes via Patreon, access to the judo chop mini episodes and access to the chopped out bonus bits. Uh, not really interested in the judo chops, but you do want to help out the podcast a little bit. You can gen- uh, sign up for the shout out loud tier. That's $1 or euro or pound or whatever your local currency is per month. And for that, you'll get a shout out by name or nickname at the end of every episode. Yes. So we're talking about Pink Flag. Yeah. But before we talk about Pink Flag, we should take a second to talk about Wire. Yeah. Which, other than some rudimentary information about each of the guys, I could find very little. There is so little information about this band. <laughs> they're Again, they're one of those bands that so many people cite as like, oh, that album was Pink Flag specifically was very influential yeah. for my musical you know, tastes. And they, they're the reason I formed a band. And it's like, oh, very cool. And then you go back and try to search for these guys and they're, they're almost unknown. So the band originally formed in the mid 70s and i have to say that because i don't know what date they actually formed on i saw 1975 and 1976 yeah i saw october 76 yeah. is what i saw how true either one of those is i don't know because i couldn't confirm it anywhere. Right. <laughs> but originally uh, it was colin newman on guitar and vocals uh graham lewis on bass and vocals bruce gilbert on guitar and robert gray on drums mm-hmm. they started out as a punk band but they really quickly grew beyond that and then they kind of became a punk influenced band and then they kind of became a what was called at the time an art punk band right and a lot of people now consider them to be the first post-punk band right which i, 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 I feel definitions like are so weird yeah for that I feel like, too, that's trying to slap a bunch of labels on something that you're just trying to fit it into that category because you weren't able to categorize it at the time. You're just trying to get it into a box. Yeah. A little bit of background. Colin Newman was born in 54 in Salisbury, England, attended art school before he joined the band. He was the primary songwriter, musical writer anyway. Graham Lewis was born in 53 in Lincolnshire and attended fashion school in the early 70s before he joined Wire. Bruce Gilbert was the oldest member of the band. He was born in 1946 in Watford. He attended graphic design school before switching to abstract painting. In 1975, he was hired by the Watford School of Art and Design as an AV tech there you oh, go, right. and began experimenting with oscillators and tape loops and delays. And he originally formed a band with Colin Newman, who was attending Watford at the time, in a band called Overload before uh, they re- reformed a little while later as Wire. So you, you found even more than I did because almost all of that was yeah. non-existent for me. There was another guy in the band, George Gill, but he wasn't in the for very long, but then drummer Robert Gray was originally a vocalist before he was a drummer. He was a vocalist for an R&B group called The Snakes hmm. before he left to join Wire. So, a little bit of background for you. I mean, it was scant yeah. information about Wire yeah. themselves. They were apparently incredibly passionate though, because they would spend 12 or more hours a day practicing and coming up with music and writing music and riffing and, and doing whatever they could to just play. Well, part of that was because none of them were musicians <laughs> per se. So, yeah, you're going to practice 12 hours so you could be taken seriously, at least to some degree. Yeah. Uh, They played their first gig at the Roxy Club in London on April 1st, 1977. Yeah. April Fool's Day. Good day for a gig. That was a successful gig. Yeah. Because the EMI offshoot Harvest Records, a label primarily known for distributing Pink Floyd records, which (laughs) was anything but punk. Yeah. Signed them to a record contract and sent them into the studio. And just like that, we're all caught up. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's it. <laughs> and now they were in the studio recording uh, Pink Flag. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me. I don't know if the, you have this in your notes, but it's interesting that they recorded this at AdVision Studios. So mm-hmm. AdVision Studios uh, was one of the main London studios in the 60s and early 70s. Yeah. Bowie, ELP, Elton John, Yardbirds, Yes. they all. It was actually Yes's main recording studio. So I think we've encountered, like when we talked about the police and bands like that, they were recording their first records in a small studio above like a garage or a, like yeah. a barber shop, like some shithole studio. And here's this fledgling punk band that yeah. doesn't really know its instruments is recording where the Yardbirds and Yes recorded their albums. I think this is going to tell you that it's not your typical punk album. Yeah. And I don't think they were looked at as a prototypical punk band. Yeah. They, there was more to it than that. There something else going on. I tried so hard to find out who it was because there had to be somebody in that chain that knew that there was something different here. Mm-hmm. They were playing some punk songs. They had a very punk sound, but they were more than that at the time. There had to be somebody somewhere and I couldn't find it. Yeah. I could not find somebody that was like, oh, and you know, this person was their manager. This person was their whatever. And they noticed that they right. are even, you know, an engineer, somebody. There's no Malcolm McLaren here. Yeah. Like Malcolm McLaren from the Sex Pistols. There's yeah. no one sitting there going, I see so much potential or at least nobody that we know of. Yeah. It sounds like there is though, because they're putting them in a proper studio. They're letting them use excellent equipment. Yeah. This is kind of art punk. Yeah. Surprisingly though, uh, you know, they, they did all that. Not a great selling album. Oh. Didn't end up on any, you know, top lists. Didn't really end up, you know, doing any good numbers. However, Critical Darling. Yeah, won the hearts of critics. Yeah. For sure. Tens and A's across yeah. the board. Right. Uh, critics love it. But critics love to make a darling of things that they think only they can appreciate. Yes. So if the public can't get it, well, it's probably because we are too dim to right. understand it and see its worth. Oh, I love your setup. Case in point, Robert Christigau mm. loved this record. Absolutely loved this record. He called it a punk sweet and praised its simultaneous rawness and detachment and and that it is similar to the Ramones, but much grimmer and more frightening. The Ramones, of course, sold records. Yeah. Critically revered and loved by other musicians. That's what made this album like stand the test of time. Bands like My Bloody Valentine, Guided by Voices, R.E.M., even contemporaries like The Cure said they changed their sound after they released their first record because they heard this record. Yeah. And it sent them in a completely different direction. Rolling Stone has this album at number 412 on the top 500 mm-hmm. albums a, of all time. So, so it's not without merit. It actually jumped to uh, three. 310 oh. in 2020. Holy so smokes. it's gone 100 up. spots? Yeah, it jumped 100 spots. It's number 378 on NME's top 500 albums of all time. Pitchfork put it at number 22 on its top 100 albums of the 1970s. Mm. And obviously it's in the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Obviously. Incredibly influential across a bunch of other music genres like you just mentioned. However, saying all of that, and you already brought this up a little bit, yeah. this is not an easy album to listen to. It sounds great. Mm. There's no like audio issues with it, you know, but it is not something that you're just going to put on in, in the background and do the dishes to or no. something. You have to want to listen to this and you have to sit down and, and give it a good listen. Well, the album has 21 songs on yeah. it. Yeah. And it's 36 minutes long. Three of them are under a minute long. Mm-hmm. Nine others are under two minutes. Yeah. So it will prove to be a challenge. Yes. 
<laughs> Should we talk about the cover though? Because that's sure. uh, that's at least as I I almost said ironic iconic as the sound of the band. It is, but it's so unpunk like. Yeah. Like it reminds me more of a Floyd album cover. It this looks like a, a cover that Hypnosis or Aubrey Powell oh, yeah, would have done. Very much. You you can describe oh, yeah. it. So you, it's just a picture of a, a pink flag flying on the top of a flagpole over a blue sky. Uh, there's some dirt below it, uh, and in the top left corner is the band name Wire. Yeah, that's it. The flag is in. The, the absolute dead center yeah. of the record. I mean, it draws your eyes to it. Yeah. But it doesn't look like a punk album cover. You know, everyone out there knows, never mind the Bullocks and, and that stuff. And it, it looks like a ransom note. Yeah. And this doesn't have that punk quality to it. So it's interesting. Yeah. Do you have the designer? I do, yeah. Okay. Uh, art direction by David Dragon. Uh, David is a designer who worked for a long time in the music industry. But he's also done a bunch of work in advertising. Uh, if you go look up his website, he's got some pretty cool stuff on there. Oh, yeah. There. He's still kicking. Yeah. Uh, and photography by Annette Green, uh, Richard Bray, and Linda House. However, the front was taken by Annette Green. Mm -hmm. uh, Annette uh, would go on to take photos uh, for the front of most of Wire's future albums as well. Uh, and she also wrote uh, lyrics to a song yes, she uh, did. on this album that we'll get back to. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. I, again, <laughs> could find hardly any information about her. My assumption is she was somebody that knew the band. Probably. I, that's what I'm but, guessing. I, I mean, I, I tried to find that out. Like, maybe was she a girlfriend? Was she just somehow connected to the label? But I could find absolutely zero. Yeah, it's sure. difficult. You you Google Annette Green. Yeah. You get so 15,000 people. Yeah. Like, gosh. Annette Green Photography, and it's 500. 800. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Annette Green Photography, England. It's 250. And I'm Anne not getting Green, any closer. Anne of Green Gables. Gables. Correct. <laughs> just, it's just going to keep evolving. So, should we? Uh, take a quick break and come back and do the track by track absolutely sweet see you in a minute today's show is brought to you by atomic podcast services are you tired of spending hours hunched over your computer struggling to edit your podcast episodes do you want more time to create instead of editing well we have the solution for you Introducing Atomic Podcast Services, a premium podcast editing service that will take your show to the next level. With Atomic Podcast Services, you can say goodbye to tedious editing tasks and hello to a polished, professional-sounding podcast. They will expertly enhance your audio quality, seamlessly remove background noise, and ensure every episode sounds crystal clear. But that's not all. As part of their premium service, they will also help you with ID3 tagging, scheduling, and posting of episodes, and for a little extra, even create engaging audiograms to promote your episodes on social media platforms. There's even a discount if you subscribe to their monthly services. With Atomic Podcast Services, you'll have more time to focus on what you do best, creating incredible content. So why waste another minute struggling with complex editing software? Let Atomic Podcast Services take care of the technical side while you focus on captivating your audience. Visit their website at Atomic Pods, that's pods with a Z, dot com to learn more and book your editing session today. So a quick note before we do this, Matthew, like you mentioned earlier, yeah. 21 tracks. 21 tracks. Some of these are very short. The shortest one is 28 seconds. 28 seconds. I'm not going to play clips of all of these. In the episode, you're not going to play clips? I'm not going to play clips of all of these in the episode. You're not going to play like five five <laughs> seconds of a song? One, two, three, four. And then that's it. That's, that's it. your that's your whole clip. That's it. No. How to really uh, capture the mood. My thing is this. This whole album is 36 minutes long. Go listen to it after you're done with this episode, and that can be your introduction to Fine. it. I'll play some clips. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to hold back on all the clips but all right there's a couple i expect i play 15 seconds of a 20 
28 second song. I've played more than half of it. That's true. So uh, that's true, but it's punk. They're not coming after that's us. True. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the, I'm not worried about that. Uh, it just to me, it's like, if you're going to go that far, play the whole song. And then now you've played the whole song. Why not just send people out to go listen to it? It's still in the spirit of criticism. So if we play the whole damn song, so what? Fair enough. Reuters? Reuters. That's how I've always pronounced it. It is pronounced Reuters. Okay, cool. Yes. I know a lot of people think that it's Reuters. No. It is not. It's Reuters. It's German. It's German. They're a news agency, actually. It's been around since 1851. Yeah. I had no idea they'd been around that long. I always thought they were just a website, but... Because they were a huge news website in the early 2000s. Yeah. And obviously it's because they were a huge news agency. They're based out of London, so it would make sense that, you know, English bands make sense. Founded by German-born Thomas Reuter. Mm -hmm. And it was vital back even in the 1850s to spread news around Europe. It was the first news service in Europe to report about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. The service was crucial in reporting on wars, notably the Korean and Vietnam Wars. Unfortunately, it has moved like most things it's moved behind a paywall in recent years but this first track on the album it makes an impression on me it's actually a pretty straightforward punk song and it is so evident from the very first song how influential this album really was yeah i can hear about 10 bands that would come after them in this opening track it's so absolutely noticeable right and it sounds like this So I know we talk about this a lot, Uh and for some reason, it seems to be a lot of the albums that I pick. You listen to this now, and you say, oh, it's a punk band. Oh, they're they're the punk, whatever. Mm -hmm. You don't realize in retrospect when somebody was first at doing something. Correct. And I'm not saying they were the first punk band, but they were very early on in the punk movement. 1977, late Mm -hmm. 77. This is still pretty early in the punk movement. And they were very heavily influenced by the same things that was influencing all the other punk bands to go punk, Mm -hmm. which was to fight back against the, the way that music was moving. Correct. To fight back against the commercial which is kind of ironic since they almost immediately sold out after their first gig to fight back against the the pop sound and the expanse that was happening in so much music in all honesty i kind of always have felt that punk the ultimate the the other end of the spectrum from punk is prog rock Mm -hmm. and i don't mean that they're like necessarily fighting one another or anything like that and i don't think either one is good or bad i just mean that prog rock is about expanding how can we get a whole orchestra in here get the sitar player in here Go to the the mountains in Nepal and get a Vorbaborp player and get them over here to record. Bloat. Exactly. It's about how expansive can we get music. Punk was exactly the opposite of that. They said, how can we go back to the roots of rock and roll, but also make it something new and unique? True. And I think that they're, they were both happening about the same time. Yes. I mean, when would you say Prague peaked? Like early 80s? Peaked? 
The peak of that iteration, I would say 76. Okay. Probably 2112, uh, Lamb Lies Down with Genesis. You had Close to the Edge by Yes. You had Songs from the Wood by Tull. It's probably right around then. Okay. And that was in between Animals and The Wall. So yeah, it's right around then. Cool. So this is a little bit after that, obviously, but I think that it's it's kind of a pushback to those sounds. It's a pushback against that. Big 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've always kind of felt that way, that they're, they're opposite ends of the spectrum. Again, not saying one is better, not saying one is worse. I, worse, I like both. Um, and I think people can, That's what they're different. I found irony in the fact that they were recording this record where yeah. Yes records their records. And it was, I'm like, if you're making a statement now, it's not that accurate then if you're rebelling, but but I get it. Yeah. So this album was written only two years after the end of the Vietnam conflict. Mm-hmm. So my feeling is that this is what this is about, but how much more punk can you get when the final eight words of this song are the word rape over and over and over and over again? Yeah. It's kind of brutal, but for me, words aside, it's the meter of the vocals that stand out so much. And there's so many bands in there. There's I can hear the damned in there. I, mm-hmm. There's so much stuff that, again, if you're putting yourself in a headspace of, I'm trying to listen to this as if it came out before everything after it, then you can hear where that Genesis is, not Genesis the band, but where <laughs> that beginning is. So yeah, it's a good song. Yeah. Like you just said, the, the story is about, uh, it's being told by two reporters. One is the at-home reporter who's reporting on the war far away and one of them is the you know on-site reporter who's in the thick of it who's actually in the war and obviously uh, towards the end of the song it sounds like the, the war has started to go badly and that reporter's trying to get out mm-hmm. and then they sing about you know all the horrible things that happened during the war you ready to field day for the Sunday? yeah holy uh, shit balls kyle this is the most comprehensive song that I've ever heard that only lasts right? 28 seconds. This song tells so you said that. an entire fucking story. It's a story of an unfaithful man whose infidelity is revealed to his wife through the weekly tabloids. Mm-hmm. And it works perfectly. Pictures of me with a nude on page three. Yeah. So page three, in case you don't know, refers to The Sun, a British tabloid that would feature topless pictures on page three. Yeah. Or any kind of nudity. Yes. These girls became known as page three girls. Yeah. Pop singer Samantha Fox was a page three girl for <laughs> yeah. a while. Sorry, I read it wrong. Pictures of me with a nude on page three. Pictures of me with a nude on page three. But again, 28 seconds long, but it tells this entire <laughs> story of this guy who gets caught by his girlfriend or wife or whoever because he was cheating on her and somebody got a picture of him cheating on her. <laughs> it's never quite explained whether the guy is famous or whether the girl he was with was famous, but it's it's so good and it's 28 seconds. 28 seconds. There it are, has the whole song. Yeah. Yeah. There are not a lot of musicians that I think could pull this off. One thing that I did think was interesting, uh, the guy talks about uh, he was cheating on his wife for the weekend and by Monday he can't get the bad taste out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Bad taste could refer to the literal bad taste of a weekend fling or the old saying uh, leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Right. So I, I thought it's it's there's a lot of little fun wordplay in this and again 28 seconds long. I, I'm not even going to play a clip for you. Go listen to this song. You can listen to the whole thing in like 28 seconds. So yeah. We're not going to play it for you but it is playing in our ears right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, three girl rumba. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get this out of the way. Okay, because I'm thinking about it. I know that we're only three songs in, mm-hmm. but I feel like I have to lay off Robert Christigo for this particular record. Okay, I am not above admitting when I get things wrong, but I think he nailed it. I think he actually yeah. he nailed it. This record is completely awesome already. Just in this, I'm not entirely sure what I was expecting, but I think I was expecting something a little less listenable. But I'm totally on board at this point and with this song, and I have no idea what it's about. Yeah. So I think what I think this song is about is a guy who suddenly runs into at least one of his previous girlfriends while he's like on a date or something with his current girlfriend. And then he runs into a second one. And so he's singing about like, well, you know, there were other people before you, but, you know, maybe it's a three girl rumba. Mm. That's kind of what I get from it. Again, you got to stretch to read into that because otherwise I have no clue what this is about. So I do know that I was high when I listened to it all those years ago, (laughs) but this one would have tripped me out if I had stopped to listen to the lyrics, which I probably didn't. So Mm -hmm. the first verse is think of a number divided by two. Something is nothing. Nothing is nothing. Open a box, tear off the lid. Then think of a number. Don't think of an answer. Open your eyes. Think of a number. Don't get swept under. A number's a number. That is some pretty sweet existential shit right there. Right? And it sounds like this. So you know. Oh, yes, you know. The impossible. It's very interesting because it doesn't sound, it's, it's, you, his lyrics sound punk. The way he delivers them sounds punk. But you would never think that guitar, if you played that guitar riff outside of this, right. you would never think of it as a punk song. Well, no, and you've heard that riff before, yeah. right? Because Elastica, mm-hmm. band from the 90s, lifted that riff completely for their song Connection. Yeah. But it's a sweet guitar groove. Yeah. And I could be listening to that in, in my car right now because that's how much that beginning of this record speaking to me. I'm like, it's, it's excellent. Yeah. X Lion Tamer. So punk in its construction, right? Yeah. A song about how television is bad for you. That's a pretty punk song. Right. But originally the song was written about a lion tamer, right. but then the band scrapped all the original lyrics and rewrote them. And instead of coming up with an entirely new name for the song, they just slapped X on the front of it and called it a day. Which is uh, pretty punk. Right. <laughs> Should we call it something else? Now, my ex lion tamer. used to be a lion tamer. I hear the cure in here. Yeah. I hear so many bands. What I'm most irritated about, Kyle, is that this album escaped my view for for my whole life. (laughs) I would have listened to this to death back in the day if I had known any better. But it's about the mindlessness of watching television. Yeah. So they talk about The Lone Ranger, which was on the air from 1949 to 57, but it's been in syndication since. Right. They also mentioned Batman and Robin, all these old classic TV shows. Uh, and they compare it to this idea of, you know, television is going to rot your brain because you're going to sit there and you're going to eat your, you know, TV, TV dinner, dinner and sit there and just let your brain rot while you watch yeah. it. We have a lack of motivation, right? So we don't even bother making dinner anymore. Yeah. We just heat up a frozen dinner. Next week, we'll solve your problems. But now fish fingers all in a line. Line, the milk <laughs> bottles stand empty. Stay glued to your TV set. I was one of those kids. <laughs> love me some fried friends. <laughs> some fried friends. I've never heard that before, but I love it. Uh, that's what we used to call them for the kids. <laughs> like, I want fried friends. Ex Lion Tamer sounds like this.
That dirty, gritty guitar there. Just it's so fuzzy. That comes back so much. And I'm not saying this was the first. It was used before this. But that comes back so much in a lot of rock bands and punk bands. Mm -hmm. And it, it became one of the most used, like the fuzz pedal just became one of the most used guitar effects of after course. this. And, you know, not necessarily, again, because of this, it just happens to be right place, right time. But I think maybe it was. Who the hell knows? I don't know. We're what's, guessing. What's the, uh, what's the lowdown on that, Matthew? Uh, the wordplay in this song is so much smarter than I was expecting. <laughs> Chris, the guy was right. This is not the Ramones. This is not rock, 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 rock and roll high school over and over again. <laughs> right? It's insightful. It plays around. The lines, another cigarette, another day from A to B, again, avoiding C, D, and E because E is where you play the blues. This was written <laughs> by musicians, even if they weren't that accomplished on their instruments just yet, for other musicians. It's super smart. The riff is super repetitive, which is a mainstay of punk music. But there are enough included changes that make it interesting. Yeah. Uh, the complete musical dropouts, the spoken word sections, some of the screaming, it's all painting like a texture that was so original for 1977. Uh, and the first four lines of the song, uh, you looked at that, that are basically the laws of attraction. Mm -hmm. uh, something made popular by the book The Secret several years ago about manifesting what you want by believing that it's going to happen so you bring it into existence. It's pretty uh, heady stuff for a punk record in the late 70s, yeah, crying out loud. The act of which is called Secret. Creeding, by the way. Oh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Stole that from 30 Rock. I oh, gotta okay. put that out there. Sorry, everybody. You're screwing with me, man. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this is a song about life and death. And now we fill all the in-between with uh, stuff. Stuff. And that stuff sounds like this. That's Got that cool walking bass line, boom, 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 boom. Really like draws you through the whole song. I think this is a great song. Me too. Me too. I I dig it. Uh, start to move. The quick ball buster of a song. Yeah, reminds me a lot of early Violent Femme stuff. Was this like a minute 13? I think so, yeah. yeah. Crazy how much stuff they're able to pack into this right? little thing. And it's kind of vague punk lyrics, but I do like the witch now, rooster, or chicken. Uh, <laughs> mainly because it rhymes with the previous line, no bush, but trees thicken. <laughs> Rhyme thicken and chicken. Right? You're aces in my book, guy. That's all right. It's another song about uh, death, though, which uh, uh sensing a theme here, but... There's a bit of a theme, right? sure, sure. Brazil. Song is even shorter. Yeah, only 41 seconds. Uh, it's a song about a man going off to war, but telling his girl he'll remember her. Uh, it's got a strange disconnect between its title, mm -hmm. you know, so named because it has a bit of a Latin beat, sort yeah. of, kind of, yeah. and its lyrics, which are like a teenage love song. It's kind of a jab at teenage love songs, yeah. especially ones played by their contemporaries, namely the Ramones, right? And they also parody the military martial beats incorporated by a lot of punk bands with yeah. a march and a salute at the end, all jammed into 41 seconds. And it makes me wonder how some of these songs would have sounded if they had been completely fleshed out yeah like if this song had been four minutes where would it have gone you know my big question is this is would it be as good i think a few of them would magianos the italian restaurant i'm familiar 
They have like a chocolate cake, mm-hmm. right? But they also have chocolate cake bites, mm. right? Yes. The bite itself is literally a bite. It's a little round ball you throw it in your mouth, but it's like they've distilled the entire slice of chocolate cake mm-hmm. down into that little chocolate cake ball. I think that's what this album does really well. Mm. They had a cake and they were like, how can we serve the cake, but make it bite-sized? All right. Either they, they made the songs intentionally or cut stuff out of these songs and narrowed them down so you're getting chocolate cake bites. Okay. Kind of a weird comparison. I'm fine. I know I had to go a little ways for that one, but it's it really is. It's it's these little short pieces and there's a lot of them, Mm -hmm. but every one is like eating an entire slice of cake, but you're not really eating that much. All right. Is that making sense? Yeah, I follow you. Uh, It's kind of a weird... uh, uh, I get it. Offshoot there. I basically had the whole cake, but I didn't need to have the whole cake. Exactly. Brazil sounds a little bit like this. So one thing I did find was very interesting is they mentioned, um, they refer to the splitting of the atom to end this war mm-hmm. that this guy is going off to. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Uh, I'm curious to know, though, so th- is this song supposed to be about World War II? Or is this song about like Vietnam and modern war, but they think they're implying that because of World War II, all modern wars, the only way you're really going to ever end a war is by dropping an atomic bomb. I don't think it's about any of that stuff. It's too much. 41 seconds. It's so <laughs> difficult to uh, distill that down. All right. But uh, yeah, I don't know. But it's so obvious. It is so obvious. A song about some time, passage of time. What's the song about? It's so obvious, Kyle. Wire is becoming bored with the punk scene already mm-hmm. on the recording of their first album, mind you, yeah. and are already looking forward to the future. Lyrics, <laughs> it's so obvious. It's here. It's there. It's not just the color. It must be more. At least 17 plus three score. This is 77. Nearly heaven is black and white and pink. It was indeed 1977. Yep. For those who like quick math, three score is 60 plus 17 equals 77. Very nice. That is what they are talking about, and it's a little self-referential. If it's black and white, meaning it is clear as day that it's pink, the pink being this record, Pink Flag. But in the next verse, they are referencing 1978, the year, and the type of record, 78 RPM. Very clever. Uh, And it's amazing how many bands utilized this sound. It's one of my favorite riffs on the album. Yeah, it sounds like this. obvious it's so obvious but i feel like they're kind of taking the mickey here too because they made a song called it's so obvious Mm -hmm. that has what might be considered the quintessential punk band sound in it Mm -hmm. calling it so obvious i mean this is the type of sound that was coming from garages around the world in the late 70s and early 80s you think they're taking the piss out of everybody i think they're taking the piss (laughs) out of everybody saying like you know we get that it's the sound right now, but it's so obvious you need to move on yeah, from Yeah, they're it. bored already. They're, they're bored, yeah, like we're, you said. We're moving on. We're moving on to, yeah. the, to the next sound, whatever the next sound is. Which is Surgeon's Girl. Surgeon's Girl. So remember what I said about loving the first few songs? Yeah, well, now it's beginning to wear off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not because of the quality of the songs. Because uh, you don't like pornography. Yeah. I get it. Because s- this many songs in the row that are, that are exactly the same, yeah. regardless of the, if they are all slow or mopey or silly or these songs, just start to make me bored a little bit and I think that's why personally I always gravitated to the music that I did long term is because those bands tend to 
change their sounds of their songs to some degree on the same album. With Rush, you can get fast songs, loud songs, medium tempo songs, long complicated songs, same with Genesis, but a band like this, like Wire, it's fun to listen to for a while, but then I start to get bored because I've kind of already done it. I've heard it. And even if it's 35 minutes, I still want to hear something else. And again, I think that's why some like some, like albums like this, I'm not going to listen to the whole thing. I'm going to mash it all up. That's why I used to make so many freaking mixtapes as when I was growing up, not to give away to people just because I wanted to have like a selection of songs that I enjoyed that I wasn't going to hear on the radio. Okay, fair. They refer in the song a lot to glossy mags. That's why I was making fun of you. Yes, They're yes. not enjoying pornography. Right, right. Uh, glossy mags, of course, referring to the paper that these are printed on so that they appear uh, to be very vibrant and, and beautiful pictures, also so that they don't get uh, too sticky. See, from what I gather from the lyrics, this is what I read. I read this is about a guy going to his doctor or his surgeon and falling in love with the girl in the magazine at the doctor's office. Okay. The glossy mags, because he's kind of like, yeah, I, I'm making it a point to continue to go to my surgeon's office because that magazine is right. And see, I kind of took this to mean more along the lines of he keeps looking at this girl in a magazine, in like a porn magazine, mm -hmm. knowing that she has had a lot of work done, but she's still beautiful to him and he still does whatever he needs to do after he I looks at a picture. I can see that either way. Right. I like that. Uh, and it sounds like this. All right. Well, but I agree with you. Yeah. This is a continuation of the same sound we've heard in the last few tracks. Yeah, it fits. It fits really well with this album. But in all honesty, I think any time later than this, this would have been a cut track. Probably, mm -hmm. it doesn't fit quite right here. Again, I want to know what happened. Who was the person that saw this and was like, "Fuck yeah, put twenty-one tracks on an album. Why not? Yeah, release <laughs> that shit." Because this was still this was still in the days of vinyl, yeah. so this had to be pressed on. They had to squeeze all this onto yeah. a, a, an album. Ten on one side, eleven on the other. Yeah, right. Like mind blowing. It's weird. Uh, the title track, Pink Flag, is next. All right. So while these are punk songs, uh, these guys making these songs are not your typical punk writers. No. Uh, they are politically charged, not in the normal way, where they are just bitching about the local government or the <laughs> Thatcher regi regime, uh, <laughs> because you're about to get a history lesson oh my from God. Wire that you probably never expected. Yeah. It happens as a throwaway line in the song, incidentally, one of the longest songs on the record at mm -hmm. 347. The line is, I was sold up the river to the red slave trade. The stores were gathered. The plans were laid. Synchronized watches at 1805. How many dead or alive in 19? 1955. So this is what I read into it. Although I saw more obscure references about it, this one actually had the dates. Uh, these guys are clearly well-versed in the Vietnam conflict. Uh, these lines refer to Operation Passage to Freedom. Operation Passage to Freedom was the wonderful little name that the U.S. Navy ascribed to the military operation that took place in Vietnam during 1954-55, mm -hmm. in which the border separating the countries of North Vietnam and South Vietnam were established at or around the 17th parallel. The Geneva Accords of 1954 established this border and, as a result, provided a 300-day ceasefire between North and South Vietnam that would allow the French-controlled South, with U.S. help, to move 300,000 Vietnamese citizens, soldiers, and non-Vietnamese members of the French army from North Vietnam to South Vietnam. The agreement allowed for free movement over the border in both directions with the expiration of the ceasefire on May 18, 1955. 
The song refers to the synchronized watches at 1805. I don't believe that is the time of day, 1805, but how would you read a calendar in most of the rest of the world? Date and then month, 1805. So Very and interesting and subtle references there. What's crazy is it even goes deeper than that. So the whole reason we were in Vietnam is because we did not want the communists mm -hmm. to take over the country and Correct. gain yet another foothold in the world. Southeast Asia. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> this gets on a little deep, but 1805 is the year Louis-Auguste Blanqui was born. Louis-Auguste Blanqui, in case you don't know him, is a non-Marxist socialist. Uh -huh. So he was around before Marx was around by many, many years, spouting these ideas about socialism. And his ultimate idea of socialism was that in order for a country to become so socialist, what needed to happen was a group of people needed to take over and install a dictatorship uh -huh. so that they could basically gain all the wealth of the country, gain all the power of the country, and then distribute it out to the people. And then, of course, once they're done with that, they would, you know, altruistically step aside and let the people run themselves because, you know, they would never instill themselves no, and stay there. That right? doesn't happen. So anyways, uh, he was born in 1805. He spent over half his life in prison in France because of his viewpoint uh, on socialism and because of his outspoken views. Um, but 1805, the year he was born, kind of the ultimate end of his ideals came through Joseph Stalin, who, you know, took over Russia and installed communism. Well, he didn't install communism, but was one of the worst dictators of all time and, you know, basically pushed communism throughout the Soviet Union, who had passed away a few years previously in 1951. In the 50s. 50s. I didn't yeah. write that down. But in 1955, that is the year that a monument to Joseph Stalin was completed in Prague, a huge monument to Joseph Stalin, mm -hmm. which I think is still there. Um, and you can arguably say that was the end of uh, Blanqui's ideas, because by that point, the Soviet Union had become established. They were considered a world superpower at that point, and there was no longer a need to push socialism because it was already here. Okay. A little more obscure than yours, yeah. um, obviously, but <laughs> I, I read this one first and I was like, eh, that's a little obscure. And then I read the one about Vietnam and I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. But I, I, no, I was no, like, I, we got to know both. Of I them saw them both. I, that was that was what I was referring to when I said I've seen I saw other references yeah. to it. But this one seemed to line up a little more accurately. I looked really hard to find some reference to a pink flag Me being too. used in war somewhere, but it wasn't there. Uh, the pink flag is used now in some LGBTQ mm -hmm. flags, uh, but that was nowhere to be seen in 1977. No, that didn't happen until fairly recently, actually. Yeah. There was obviously one of the uh, very old symbols of the LGBTQ community has been the pink triangle, mm -hmm. which was used by the Nazis during World War II to denote somebody who was uh, LGBTQ and you know, basically send them to a concentration camp to be murdered. So. Sure. That's a fun thought. But beyond that, the pink flag has not, as far as I could tell, until recently been used as a representation of anything. Right. I know. I mean, that's what I was looking for. Any yeah. sort of reference in war. And I couldn't find anything. I, I honestly think that there's a very practical reason for that. It is too much of a mix between red and white. Sure. And the idea being that, you know, a white flag means you're surrendering, surrendering. and a red flag means, you know. It usually means stop. Yeah. It so, means to some degree. Yeah, yeah. There's a problem. We need to stop something or right, don't so, approach. So to me, a pink flag, you would be like, well, are they surrendering or are they telling me not to come over there? Or did they leave a pink sock or red sock <laughs> yeah. in their whites? Mm. <laughs> are they going to surrender, but there was a sock in their mm. laundry and now they're, oh shit. I don't know what this means. Let's just kill them. <laughs> Consequently, pink flag sounds like this. Oh,
the commercial. Yeah, so you flip the album over, and here's a little uh, intermission for you. It's an interlude, yeah. aptly named commercial, because it appears in the middle, yeah. like a break from your TV program. A little short instrumental, 49 seconds long. Yeah. I wasn't planning on playing a clip. You don't have to. One, but uh, take a listen to it. There's not uh, Music is by uh, Graham Lewis, if you want to listen to it. That was uh, it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. The whole thing. That was it right there. Uh, Straight Line is the next track. 44 seconds. They're, yeah. they're barely... We're not climbing out of a minute yet. No. Lyrics by Bruce Gilbert. Yep. One of the only ones on the record. Yeah. And music by Bruce Gilbert and Colin Newman. Seems to be uh, about a guy being led to have a sexual relationship with someone, even though he really doesn't want to have yeah. sex with her. I feel like him. I feel like this is a song about like a wallflower. Like somebody who hangs out in the corner at a party and doesn't really want to talk mm. to anybody, but then they're kind of like seduced by somebody. And even though they're like hesitant, they go and have sex with them anyways. Like, I guess. It's very weird. My mind is unwilling and your flesh is so week that's yeah. the line from that song I'm like oh all right still got 10 songs to go for crying out loud right? you're killing me here 106 <laughs> beats that barely over a minute again yeah but apparently did you i'm sure you saw that from one of the biographies about wire oh. that i found uh this song was written as an exercise by the band uh it was supposed to be a narrative 100 syllables long but he ended up at 106 syllables and determined that he couldn't cut it down any further uh, I had not found that. That's yeah. awesome. And the line, with praise he glows, with change he grows. I'm not going to lie. That is a great, strong lyrical phrase for anybody. Yeah. That's great. Plus, uh, I'm pretty sure this is a fuck song. Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> what? Because of the beats? 106 beats? 106 beats. That's how many it takes. But it's 106 syllables. But the fact that it's difficult to understand what he is saying a lot of the time doesn't take away from the fact that that line is really good. So Newman wrote this song as he rode the subway every day to the studio. And apparently, he gave every stop on the tube a specific guitar chord in his Ooh. brain. So as he passed the stops, he would either incorporate the stop into his chord progression he was working on, or he wouldn't, giving him an endless amount of combinations to work from. Because you use two, and then skip one, and then go back to the or go to the fourth one, or you skip the first one, and go to the second one, and do the third one. Like, he had endless amount of combinations, but as wow. he, each stop on the subway had a very specific chord, and then he would write songs as he rode to the studio based on what he was seeing. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and it sounds like this. I'm glad you found more about that song because yeah. I was like, 106 beats that. What does that mean? Like, and I, I couldn't find that. I knew you were going to so. go that direction, though. Yeah, I mean, I immediately I was like, 106 <laughs> beats. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, that sounds about right. But I, I better I'm, test it. I mean, if I've been drinking. No. I mean, you know, I had to. I had to test it several <laughs> times, Matthew, to make sure. Well, you suffer for your art. I have to Kyle. suffer for my art. I understand. Uh, Mr. Suit. Ah. Yeah. Barely a minute again. <laughs> Barely a minute again. But this is classic punk, right? Yeah. Anti-establishment punk song. It's the classic punk stereotype. The suit. Right. The guy who's a, you know, oh, I went the straight narrow and uh, I went to high school and then I went to a business college and now I've got a office job and I sit in a cubicle. I wear a suit every day right. and I fill out insurance forms. Where we're like, telling the man to fuck off. Yeah. Like, you take your suit, fuck <laughs> off. Take your suit and eat my ass. <laughs> <laughs> but that has become such a like, I mean, even, you know, the, the, the phrase, the suits, referring to people who are, you know, uptight and stuffy and, you know, in charge. Yes. Uh, lyrics in this one by Colin Newman, uh, some backing vocals by Mike Thorne, mm -hmm. and it sounds like this. Thank you, thank you, 
See, it makes sense now, doesn't it? Hmm. Hearing the the way the songs are structured, I can see in my head like, oh, Piccadilly Circus. Oh, like as he's getting oh. to the stuff, you can see how it's simply written, but it's just different enough that he's not using the same chord progressions every time. Huh. So he's like, oh, Windsor Castle. <laughs> Wait, is there a tube stop at Windsor Castle? I don't know. That'd be kind of weird. I don't know. Only the queen would use it. Or excuse me. It's a special. Only the king would use it's it. It's a special stop. All right. Uh, Strange. Yeah. Uh, lyrics by Bruce Gilbert. Music by Bruce and Colin. Um, a flute in this one by Kate Lucas. Kate's a well-known flautist and music instructor. She's also uh, features on Wire's song uh, Heartbeat from their 1978 album Chairs Missing, mm-hmm. their follow-up album to this. It's also almost four minutes long. It is the longest track on this album, if I remember correctly. It has one of the more conventional song structures on the record, too. It's yeah. normally structured verses that change key on every one, then a pretty normal chorus. I think this is the band's attempt at writing a song that other bands might write. Yeah. I like this song. I think it's excellent. I also kind of wonder, too, is this included just to be like, Oh, by the way, we can, we can do, this. do it. Yeah. Just screw you. We can do this. And they even called it strange because on this album, it is the strange song that is the the outlier to all the others. And I saw this. I saw on a message board. I don't know if you looked at any of those that a number of people were saying things like, don't listen to this song when you're alone in the middle of the night because it sounds creepy. Like a bunch of people said that. And I'm like, I don't get that. There's nothing creepy about this song. Well, here, do you guys think it sounds creepy? I don't think it's creepy at all. I don't know what people are on. I think people are fragile. Oh. It's a breakup song. Back to a minute long again. Yeah. Uh, Singer's very envious. Green about being, and sad. Uh, Blue about his lost love. Oh, you got those same lines out of there. It's really the best hook on the entire album, and it goes by so damn fast. Right? It sounds like this. Pretty good stuff, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I want this song to be three minutes long. Yeah, I think this is definitely one that had they taken it and expanded it out a little bit, it would have been uh, an even better song. It's Sound, a good song. Sounds I like R.E.M. It too. Great. It does. And... That's one of the bands. Uh, Michael Stipe specifically has has shouted out to Wire and said, we were incredibly influenced by their sound and their uh, uh, musical abilities and was very heavily influenced by them in an article. One of R.E.M.'s songs. One of R.E.M.'s songs was heavily influenced, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mannequin. 
full-throated indictment of the punk fashion industry in the late 1970s. Yeah. Originally, the punk movement was supposed to speak for anti-everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they wore leather and pins, tore up their jeans and stuff, you know, that didn't conform to what everybody else was doing. Yeah. And then punk got popular, which made the fashion fashionable. Yeah. Designers like Vivian West, Malcolm McLaren popularized the looks, and it became the look, which means it wasn't anti anymore. It's now the establishment. Right? I mean, they're literally calling all the people that wear that punk look but aren't punk musicians mannequins. Yeah. They're like, you're a fucking mannequin. <laughs> you're, a mannequin. you're just putting that on because it's whatever's popular. It's whatever's cool. And two weeks from now, you'll throw it on the ground and move on to whatever's next. Literally called them a waste of space. Right. <laughs> just like this. That's a great hook. Great melodies. Yeah. It's super listenable song. So you're a literal waste of space. Now enjoy this wonderfully crafted <laughs> right? song in my, our very expensive studio. Uh, some backing <laughs> some backing vocals here from uh, Dave Oberly. Uh, he would, uh, from the band, uh, excuse me, from the band. From the band. From the band. From the band. From the band Griffin. Uh, he would go on to found the magazine Kerrang! Kerrang! I know Kerrang! Mark, which co- has come up in several episodes. Yeah. And we've uh, talked about their interviews and things. Um, interesting dude, if you want to go look him up at some point but uh rang different to me mm. another less than a minute song lyrics by annette green yeah annette verde yeah annette verde <laughs> she, uh, she did the photography she did the photography on the front and the back cover yeah as we mentioned previously um short song another one about time and death yeah sounds like this And maybe they just wanted her to get a songwriting credit because maybe. because the lyrics are pretty standard. Yeah. Uh, although she does work the word mackerel into the song. Oh, yeah. And you have to respect that. She also references a sprat. And I had to look that one up. A sprat is a small fish belonging to the herring family. And oh. then that line in the song makes sense because a sprat would have much easier time slipping through a net that was intended for a mackerel than a mackerel would. The mackerel would get caught, but the sprat would slip through. The only place I think I've ever heard of Good that stuff. is uh, Jack Sprat could eat no fat. Is wife could, His eat, wife no could lean. eat no lean. It's true. Yeah, fat bitch wife. Boom. <laughs> Just kidding. Shit. Sorry, fat bitches. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Champs. Champs. I think this is a uh, shout out to like all the the student athletes in high schools and stuff who picked on the punks. Ah. I think that's what this is. I'm not positive, but I think that's what it it's, is. And they're literally saying to them, hey, guess what? You might have been hot shit in high school, but you're going to burn out and lead a mediocre life for the Ooh, rest of your life. It's a good song. It is. And I feel like I've heard this song before. Turns out, I have. Sort of. If you dig a little deeper and you realize that this song sounds almost identical to a song called Harmony in My Head by the Buzzcocks, which came out in 1979, two Ooh. years after after this album. Both songs are good, but it's a clear chicken and egg situation because the Buzzcocks got more famous mm-hmm. than Wire did. And Harmony in My Head is an excellent song. <laughs> it's, it's like, that's frustrating. I'm like, why have I heard this song before? Mm. Uh, well, But I like your interpretation. Champs sounds like this.
Another absolutely classic punk song, though. Just even the lyrical delivery, the the guitar, everything is so classically punk in this. It's it's unbelievable. Agreed. A feeling called love. Mm. Uh, music by Colin Newman. It's the love song on the album. Absolutely. A little it's, softer. Not about sex, no. which a lot of punk music is. It's about love because there's nothing you know that can explain it and there's nothing you know that's worth the pain of it. <laughs> if you listen to him, he sounds a little bit like Lou Reed vocal styling in here. Oh, yeah. So maybe there's that. some Velvet Underground influence, which would make logical sense yeah. to me. I mean, I would imagine a lot of bands would have been inspired oh, yeah. by, by the Underground. Especially around this time. So. Right. Uh, and uh, Feeling called love sounds like this. Pretty good. good. So we made it, Matthew. We did. Track 21-12-XU. Yes, that's what it's called. And honestly, what sucks is the way it's written on iTunes is 12XU. It looks like 12 times U. And I'm like, 12 times U, 12XU, what does this mean? And then I had to listen to it. It was like, one, two, fuck you. And I was like, oh, this is a censored song title. Just like you're buying an album at Walmart. Yeah. So the lyrics here are by Bruce and Graham. It's pronounced, like I said, one, two, X, U. Uh, X is supposed to be fuck. Uh, no. No. So, no. I couldn't say that on the back of an album cover uh, in the 70s, apparently. So. I guess. Uh, censored. Uh, the line, uh, saw you in a mag, kissing a man, smoking a fag, kissing a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, might be a reference to a gay porn magazine, Maybe. Maybe. Fag here obviously is used in the British way, meaning a cigarette. cigarette correct. But they also clearly knew it was a pejorative for a gay man because of imagine. the subject of this song. And the line, got you in a cottage, got you in a corner, might refer to the, the term cottaging uh, in Britain. Is, uh, I found that as well. Some having some uh, public sex in like a public restroom. Right. Usually. Uh, uh, George Michael style. George Michael style, uh, usually amongst two men. <laughs> um, and obviously in a corner uh, refers to nobody put ba- puts baby in a corner. No, obviously, it's just a direct reference yeah, it's a direct to, reference to, to a movie dirty that dancing. come out 10 years later yeah. uh <laughs> but it's definitely a a wonderful closer to this album. Yeah. It's this amazing punk song. It has these like little hints of like unusual things, like all the references to, to homosexuality in it that you would not expect from a punk band, even though they were generally very progressive and very accepting of people. But to to be fairly open and blatant about it like this was it pretty rare. Seems odd. Yeah. The song has legs because it, it became a pretty popular song amongst punks, punk bands because mm-hmm. it was covered by by bands like Minor Threat, yeah. Bad Brains, uh, Naked Ray Gun, they all did covers of this song. So it lived on more so than a lot of the other songs on this record. Yeah. This one was well known. But yeah, it's a great record. It is. Uh, here, uh, one, two, oh, yeah, yeah. fuck you, fuck sounds you. like this. All right. Here it is, again. And it's called... One, two, X, you! <laughs> So you in a mag, kissing a mag, so you in a mag, kissing a mag, so you in a mag, kissing a mag, yeah! 
this is one of those albums. Like I said, I, I picked this because I had heard of it before and I had sort of, uh, uh, you know, it was not a popular album. It's not something that a bunch of people have heard, but it seems to be so influential. And then the first time I actually sat down and listened to it, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. There's so much here. And it, in 36 minutes. Oh, it just blasts it, past it you. blows your mind. Yeah. And it absolutely, you'll lose a half an hour to this album. Mm-hmm. You will. If you put it on right now, if you're driving, be very careful. You'll suddenly be where you were supposed to be 20 minutes later. It'll be crazy. Uh, <laughs> but it is it is a wonderful album. I'm so glad you liked it, too. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, I think it's excellent. I'm not going to lie. I was a little worried when I picked this one. I'm like, oh, shit. I wonder if this is going to be like, Matthew's going to be like, oh, I know that album. I fucking hate it, mate. That's, you, that's how, how I talk, talk all the time. I think it's excellent. And if you want to tell us what you think of it, um, reach out to us on our social uh, media accounts. You can get hold of us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash audio judo or on X at audio at audio judo or Instagram at audio underscore judo. Or you can reach out to us on email at info at audio judo dot com. Any can, one of can, those will work. You can one two X us. One two X on me. X. And then. Uh, oh, but the, the sign came down. So I don't know if it's actually called that anymore, but we'll. We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, do you have some shout outs? I do. So uh, 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 shout out to our uh, backstage past here. Uh, Christian S, David W, Kristen K, Michael S, and Scott K. Thank you all so much for your contributions to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you didn't hear it, Scott's episode just came out uh, last week. Yeah. Two weeks ago from when this releases. Last week from when this releases. Yeah. So go back and listen to it. It's a really good episode uh, about Van Halen's first album, Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron P, Michael A, thank you both so much much for your support at the front row seats tier mm-hmm. and uh diane and simon c our uk consultants nice new sign up so welcome diane yeah. uh, at the shout it out loud tier thank you both so much thank you for, for your, your continued support uh yeah. the next episode for us is the first episode of season five so naturally we head down the toad the wet sprocket road again uh this one with hopefully some special surprises uh we also have episodes Ooh. coming up from kansas uh and something rare for us that i put on the calendar a record that is only three years old. What? So please stick around for that um, until two weeks from now. Uh, be safe, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.